Amen. So last week we concluded a teaching series that was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed it. It was called Refined, where we were exploring various aspects of the Christian faith and their relationship to this phenomenon called deconstruction. And as we noted several times during that series, deconstruction isn't necessarily the idea of rejecting the faith. It is often the precursor to rejuvenating our faith. We're not endorsing some some kind of never-ending money pit sort of situation. We've been talking about a deliberate process of evaluation coupled with an intentional effort to rebuild our faith in community with others. So for many people, and this was certainly the case for me, deconstruction has led to a much more robust and life-giving experience of faith. In fact, I've spoken with many people who've had a similar experience of deconstruction that for them has led to the discovery of the rich beauty and meaning in more liturgical traditions and more liturgical forms of worship. And this isn't that new of a phenomenon, actually. This has been going on for for several generations. I remember, for example, when I was in seminary, um, I had been doing quite a bit of deconstruction work in my own life. And I happened upon a book in the library that caught my attention, and I rarely have this experience, but I picked up the book and I started reading it, and I couldn't put it down. I just kept reading it, and I read most of the book right there in the library. And the book was called Evangelicals on the Canterbury Trail by Robert E. Weber. Weber was a professor of theology at Wheaton College and an Anglican evangelical, which is a which is a weird combination, places him at the crossroads of two different traditions. The more historic, more liturgical tradition of Anglicanism and the more modern, non-liturgical tradition of evangelicalism. But Weber saw the same thing happen that I saw happen, which is as evangelicals went through this process of deconstruction, they began to gravitate more and more towards liturgical traditions and more and more towards more liturgical forms of worship. That, that phrase, the Canterbury Trail, simply means to become more Anglican um, because the head of the Anglican church is called the Bishop of Canterbury, whose seat is in Canterbury, England. Um, so here's an example of something that Weber said. Weber said, What I longed for was something that went deeper than pious ideas on morality or intellectually stimulating thoughts about the meaning of human existence, as good as these were. I wanted something that actualized the pattern of being in Christ. I wanted something that worked in my life, something that brought a realistic spirituality into being. I wanted something that ordered my life into the pattern of Christ's life, death, resurrection, and coming again. This is the experience that a lot of people have underwent after deconstruction. They have longed for a tangible experience of faith, something that doesn't just live in our heads, but something that you and I live out in community with each other and in our everyday lives. For example, there was this transition that I made after a significant season of deconstruction. I resigned from a youth pastor role at a Pentecostal church. And Oshida and I began attending a Presbyterian church our first time. 
And it was very foreign, very weird. This was um, our first experience of, of liturgical style of worship. And I'll be honest, I was very reluctant and skeptical. I felt like tradition was dusty and rituals were robotic. And I had a sneaking suspicion that liturgy would snuff out the Holy Spirit. But what I encountered in that worshiping community actually rejuvenated my faith. I vividly remember having deeply moving experiences in those worship gatherings. And I remember learning about things like confirmation for the first time. I didn't know what that meant. Uh, I, didn't know, I didn't know that congregations would recite the Nicene Creed weekly as part of their worship. And I didn't know much about seasons of the Christian calendar like Advent or Lent. I thought that these traditions belonged solely to Roman Catholics. But I learned that wasn't true. They belong to the whole church. And through these time-honored traditions, my faith began to come alive again. So some of you might recall that before she went to be with the Lord recently, Rachel Held Evans wrote a book about her own deconstruction journey and her move towards a more liturgical worshiping tradition. That book was called Searching for Sunday. The table of contents of that book is just a list of the seven traditional sacraments in Anglicanism or Episcopal Church. Baptism, confession, holy orders, communion, confirmation, anointing of the sick, and marriage. And in the book, she writes this. It seemed fitting to arrange the book around the sacraments because it was the sacraments that drew me back to church after I'd given up on it. When my faith had become little more than an abstraction, a set of propositions to be affirmed or denied, the tangible, tactile nature of the sacraments invited me to touch, smell, taste, hear, and see God in the stuff of everyday life again. They got God out of my head and into my hands. They reminded me that Christianity isn't meant simply to be believed. It is meant to be lived, shared, eaten, spoken, and enacted in the presence of other people. They reminded me that, try as I may, I can't be a Christian on my own. I need a community. I need the church. And this so deeply resonates with my experience, too. For me, discovering the Jesus way after deconstruction wasn't primarily an intellectual exercise. It was primarily an embodied experience that I participated in through worship practices and spiritual disciplines. It was through the bread and the wine through seasons like Advent and Lent. And that is why I want to spend some time this morning talking about Lent. Uh, because for those of us who are at some stage or another in deconstruction or are emerging from deconstruction, um, Lent is a really good place to start. The season of Lent is an invitation into an intentional process of self-examination confession, repentance, and preparation for Holy Week, beginning with Palm Sunday and culminating on Easter Sunday. Here's how the Book of Common Prayer introduces Lent to us. Dear people of God, the first Christians observed with great devotion the days of our Lord's passion and resurrection. And it began the custom, it became the custom of the church to prepare for them by a season of penitence and fasting. This season of Lent provided a time in which converts to the faith were prepared for holy baptism. 
It was also a time when those who, because of notorious sins, had been separated from the body of the faithful, were reconciled by penitence and forgiveness, and restored to the fellowship of the church. Thereby, the whole congregation was put in mind of the message of pardon and absolution set forth in the gospel of our Savior, and of the need which all Christians continually have to renew their repentance and faith. I invite you, therefore, in the name of the church, to the observance of a holy Lent, by self-examination and repentance, by prayer, fasting, and self-denial, and by reading and meditating on God's holy word. This emphasis on personal spiritual formation is a welcome contrast to the way that we are daily malformed by consumerism, by materialism, by violence, and by division. That is the water that we swim in, in modern Western culture, whether we realize it or not. Every day we are participating in liturgies of a sort, rituals and formative practices that aren't liturgies designed to form us into the image of Christ. They're liturgies designed to form us into good consumers or good Americans. But what does it profit a person if they become a good American consumer but forfeit their soul? We are malformed by sinful practices in which we participate. And those may not be our overt shopping habits or even the ideological flags that we wave, but each one of us in some way or another has fallen short, have missed the mark. And our personal holiness has suffered. What starts out as a single failure, if left unchecked, can snowball into a habit that holds us captive. We can grow so accustomed to our personal sins that they become our new normal. During Lent, we resist the temptation to mask our pain or hide our sins with anxious celebration. Instead, we are provided space to attend to that internal work of the Spirit. Lent is a season for taking inventory of ourselves, of reflecting upon the ways we have been caught up in sin and availing ourselves to God's mercy. And to this end, disciples of Jesus have found practices like prayer and fasting to be powerful means by which God breaks the chains of bondage in our lives. Fasting in particular is a spiritual discipline that makes drastic demands upon us which disconnect us from comfort and disrupt patterns of sin. Lent is for breaking the chains of personal sin. But I don't want you to think that Lent is only about self-denial. Fasting isn't some kind of masochism. Rachel Held Evans used to say that fasting is a way of letting go of something so that we can take hold of God. And there is space that is created when we fast. And God rushes into that space and fills it by capturing our attention in a new way. And this capturing of our attention opens up new possibilities. A pastor of mine used to say, you can't get something new from God by doing the same old thing. So this Lenten season, I encourage us all to seek God for how God may be calling us to fast. And I'll share with you personally that uh, I struggled this, 
this Lenten season with how I would personally fast. And the thought uh, occurred to me, as it often does, uh, to fast social media. And I quickly put it out of my head. No, not going to do that. But it kept coming back. And eventually I submitted to that thought. And it's been really, really hard. I can't tell you how many times I picked up my phone to go to Facebook. And it's not there anymore. But there are many ways that we are caught up in patterns, in habits. uh, And fasting is a great way to disrupt those habits and patterns. But if we're not careful, there is a way in which how we practice Lent has the potential to perpetuate another way that Western modern culture has malformed us. And I'm talking about individualism. Personal religious practices have the potential to be ways that we ignore our connectedness to others in society and to God's creation. This has been a constant struggle for God's people. And it's captured in the scriptures as a warning for us that we would be wise to heed. The prophet Isaiah was called by God to deliver a scathing indictment of God's people and to call us to greater attentiveness to God's work in the world. God's people had fallen victim to the temptation to use religious practices as a way of hiding from our responsibility for one another and for God's world. Speaking the word of God to God's people, Isaiah called them to repent of practicing fasting in a way that ignored the corporate collective sins of Israel as a nation. Isaiah called them to consider how the most vulnerable members of society were being neglected, even though there was a lot of religious activity going on. I want you to hear this bold declaration from the prophet. Speak out loud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it not only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is this not the kind of fast I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing will appear quickly. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. 
You will cry for help and he will say, here I am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with pointing the finger and malice talk, and if you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and, your night, and the night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in the sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. And you will be called repairers of broken walls, restorers of streets with dwellings. So we might call this divine deconstruction. God here is doing the work of evaluating the way religious people practice fasting and finding it desperately in need of a demo day. With righteous indignation, God tears down any unhealthy constructs that we have built upon the Jesus way that prevent us from living in wholeness and harmony in tune with God's shalom. If our religious practices do not build up our twin love of God and neighbor, then they become a stumbling block. And I like to remind us of what Dr. Cornell West famously said, justice is what love looks like in public. So Lent is not only for breaking the chains of personal sin, Lent is also for breaking the chains of systemic sin. Unfortunately, when we look around at our world today, we realize that not a lot has changed since Isaiah's day. We are still tempted to use our religious activity as a way to hide. Not only can we hide from God and even hide from ourselves, but we can also hide from those who are most at need. Those who every day of their lives live with their backs against the wall. Think, take for a moment and think of a few ways in which God's people in the United States use religious activity and language to insulate themselves from caring for vulnerable populations and caring for God's creation. I'm sure a few examples have popped into your head. This Lenten season, I sense that God is calling our community to lean into a posture of receptivity of how God might be calling us to be restorers of broken walls, repairers of streets with dwellings. I want to invite us all to enter into this season with open spiritual ears to hear God's voice calling us. How might God disrupt our norms? How might God show us a new way of living? As Pastor Oshida already uh, shared, there are some resources for families to take home and each day of Lent, you could break a, chain, uh, a link of the chain. And there are suggestions for how you as a family might enter into the season and take up new practices, new ways of living, and new ways of breaking systemic chains and personal chains. In addition to that, I also posted to the church website a Lenten guide, a resource created by Dr. Randy Woodley who's the author of Shalom and the Community of Creation, an Indigenous Vision. I highly recommend you read this guide through, throughout Lent, especially if connection to creation is something that you've never considered as part of your Lenten practice. This will be novel, and it'll be potentially stretching for you, which is good. 
And I'd like to close this message with a practice that I have found very life-giving, a liturgical practice, a practice called responsive reading. I want to ask you to stand with me and join with me uh, in reciting this, this Lenten litany. It comes from Psalm 51 and from the passage we just heard, Isaiah 58. I will read the unbolded portions, and if together we could read the bolded portions. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out our transgressions. Wash us thoroughly from our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin. For we know our transgressions and our sin is ever before us. Against you and you only have we sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Hide your face from our sins and blot out all our iniquities. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Cast us not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of our salvation and uphold us with a willing spirit. For you do not delight in sacrifice or we would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. Our sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Though we seemed eager to know your ways, we forsook your commands. We asked, why have we fasted and God has not seen? Yet on the day of our fasting, we exploited our workers and quarreled amongst ourselves. This is not the kind of fast you have chosen. This is not an acceptable day unto the Lord. Cry out and God will answer. Call and the Lord will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke, the clenched fist, the wicked word, if you give your bread to the hungry and relief to the oppressed, call and the Lord will say, here am I. Your light will rise in the darkness and your shadows will become like noon. The Lord will always guide you, give you relief in desert places. Cry and God will answer. Call and the Lord will say, here am I. Let's pray. Help us, O God, to be obedient to your call and to love all your children, to do justice and to show mercy and to live in peace with your whole creation. Guide us through the deserts of life. Quench our thirst with the living waters and satisfy our hunger with the bread of heaven. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts. For, for that, that when we break this bread, it is the bread of the body of Christ. And when we bless this cup, it is the cup of communion in the blood of Christ. By your spirit, unite us with the living Christ and with all who are baptized in his name, that we may be one in ministry in every place and that as this bread is, the, is Christ's body for us. Through Jesus Christ, all glory and honor is yours with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.